Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Coach V and UWEA. We're about two weeks away from the Sugar Bowl with the matchup with Texas. You guys have heard the preview with Joshua Fisher, a big Texas honk who had uh, glowing things to say about the program. We'll come back with our preview here in uh, in a week or so. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things going on at Washington with the football program, with the other programs, with just the, the university in general. It's just a really good time to be a Husky. And the month of December and going into January, I can't think of a better time since I've really followed the programs at Washington. You start with obviously proving everybody wrong and beating Oregon for the second time, the third time in two years, Kalen DeBoer is three and O Dan Lanning's zero and three uh, Michael Penix goes to New York and outshines the Heisman winner shows the kind of person he is with that amazing suit with his teammates and his coaches inside his jacket. Um, Jake Browning is tearing up the NFL right now. If you look right now, bowl games have started and this is just football. We'll get to the other stuff. If you look right now, every time there's a bowl game on a commercial, you're seeing the purple and gold. You're seeing the, the halftime talk about Washington. It's just a really good time to be a Husky. And, and we, you know, honestly, like we've earned it that we've had some really low times uh, in the last decade with this program, two decades. Uh, and it's just really fun. So I'm going to stop right there before we get to awards and all of that. Leah, how you feeling? This is just a really exciting time. It just is. I mean, not only do we have that, we also have a major motion picture coming out on Christmas Day featuring the University of Washington crew team from the 1936 uh, Olympic year. So there's a lot of really exciting things to be fired up to be a dog, but obviously we're leading with football being in the college football playoff playing in new Orleans on new year's day. Um, but all of those things, like you're listing them off Trevor and it just, it gives me goosies because I'm just like, I, I still, it's amazing. We lot, we beat Oregon three times in 13 months. Um, you know, Michael Penix comes in second in the Heisman. And later that night, the Husky men's basketball team beats number seven Gonzaga at heck ed. Uh, got a lot of really cool things happening at UW. And so, um, you know, high school kids who are putting in those applications right now give them Washington another look-see because it's a really exciting and fun place to be what do you have coach it has been a wild couple weeks since I got back from Vegas and it just yeah you're right it just seems like the good news keeps piling up we got a couple guys in the transfer portal looking at a couple more we got BJ Green the second ah which is amazing Will Rogers at quarterback, hoping to get his teammate. Uh, Woody Marks, hoping to get Chris Brazel the second from Tulane. And basically anybody with a pulse at defensive tackle, uh, still looking there. But, um, you know, that's 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 future us's problem. Right now we've got, a, you know, these Texas Longhorns who are nothing if not incredibly arrogant and cocky. And I cannot wait until New Year's Day to give them a little horns down. You know, it is really interesting getting into the conversation around that. It seems like there's a certain type of person right now who's picking 
uh, when, when they're asked about the preview of this, your boogers, McFarlane's, your, um, your Trevor Maddich, uh, they have a very limited scope of what Washington is. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of the preview of guys who haven't really gotten into it yet, and I get why they haven't yet. There's a lot of other bowl games before this, but they're going based on brand uh, and thought process of where both of these teams come from. You have Texas, it's big, you're going to have the Stars, and uh, you have the West Coast that's finesse and and not tough and basketball and grass and all those other cliches that aren't true about this team. Um, then you have guys who, uh, Josh Pate for one, who's been a, a big detractor of Washington this whole time and more because of the way that he viewed Oregon. Um, is now starting to talk about how good Washington is and how much of a problem it, this matchup is for Texas. You have Joel Klatt. You have um, uh, who's the guy from Washington who has the the show on the radio? Um, Max Brown. No. No, the uh, Fox Sports guy. Um, Rock. No, he's a national guy. The hurt Colin Cowherd. Um, you know, he's even, he's picked Washington, uh, in this game, guys that are more familiar with West coast football that are outside of Bristol are starting to sort of see what we've been seeing all along that this team can win in a multitude of ways. <laughs> They've been in tough games. Uh, so I, you know, I'm, ex- I, I'm wondering what the conversation is going to be like as this game gets closer after Christmas. I think it's really interesting and I like the disrespect because this team has operated all year long with a chip on its shoulder, with being completely disrespected in almost every single matchup. So I I love that the line keeps creeping up towards five, six. I love it. It's four and a half. Now it started at four delicious. Keep it coming. Watch what happens because we're not basketball on grass and all Booger McFarland proved is that he's never seen us play. (laughs) Which is funny because he's had to. The weirdest thing is that earlier in the year, he was talking about how physical our offensive line was. And then somebody put one of those men in black neuralizers in front of his face. (laughs) And he realized that we weren't in the SEC and we don't play big boy football. But I want to I want to read you a list of schools, uh, Georgia, LSU, Oregon and Washington. What do they all have in common? Thousand yard rushers. They're all finalists for the Joe Moore Award for the top offensive line in the country. I don't see Texas on there. I don't see Bama on there. I don't see Michigan on there. And Michigan's usually on there. But as far as the finalists go, that's it. Two West Coast teams who beat the crap out of each other twice this year, Georgia and LSU, who are not going to be in this playoff. So who's playing big boy football? It might not be Texas. It might not be Texas and all the sacks they give up and all the pressures they give up with their offensive line. Mm Mm-hmm. And to go along with that, Texas fan has started to pick on our center who has done nothing but dominate the line of scrimmage throughout the game, throughout the season, act like more than a redshirt freshman and somebody that you're very familiar with, Coach, who you've known for years. I mean, they're they're highlighting Parker Brailsford when all he did was arguably be the best center in the conference. If it wasn't for... um... Powers Johnson at Oregon returning, coming from, you know, all Pac-12 last year. He would have been first team. Those are two guys who were in the top six or seven rated by P- PFF 
like nationally. Like you have two of the best centers in the same conference and uh, Parker just grades out amazingly. You know, I, I, I yeah, you know, I've, I've been on that Parker train for a few years now and you know, people in <laughs> this group chat and I kept telling people last year, I'm like, I swear to God, he's close to not redshirting this year. If he wasn't a little banged up, he'd probably be out there getting reps to people like you are insane. He's 268 pounds. And I'm like, okay, but he's literally one of the best offensive linemen I've ever seen in person. So I don't care if he's 6'3", 270. He's just that good. And he's proven that all year long. Our worst offensive line game was the game where they had to put him at guard and put Hatchet at center, landed Hatchet, not Gary Hatchet. Yep. Um, that was our worst game because he has controlled the middle the entire season. And we were just talking about this before we started. Bear Alexander, <clears throat> the big SEC transfer who, who's at USC now, he dog walked him. He absolutely dominated that monster all game long when they played USC. Size doesn't affect him. Athleticism doesn't affect him. He's just really, really almost, he's not perfect. He's just near perfect, flawless with his technique and his athleticism and his ability to recover and just kind of pick things up on the fly. He's just, he's a dude and they're going to find out. Moving on to the awards that the Huskies reeled in this year, the the Pac-12 in general, there was first team, second teams all over the place. I don't actually put a ton of stock into what they did, basically because of the the, you know, just looking at numbers with Bonex, who had a great year, um, but putting Bonex over Wash uh, over Michael Penix's is, uh, is a decision. Um, but you know, uh, Troy Fatone winning the offensive lineman of the year, Kalen DeBoer winning. Coach of the Year, Sporting News Coach of the Year. Mike won the Maxwell Award for the most outstanding college football player. Uh, then you get to the All-American teams that are littered with Washington players, uh, namely Roma Dunze um, as first team, Mike Penix as second team, Edifon Ulufuscio on third team, and I'm missing one who was on third team. Do you guys remember who that was? While you're looking, though, Trev, I do think that it's a little bit disconcerting that Josh Pate is picking Texas because that's a bad sign since he's picked up, picked against Washington most of the year. Yeah, and he hasn't given his picks yet from my understanding, but, oh, Troy Fatonu was the other one. So uh, he, he was third team. So uh, congratulations to those guys. Yeah, uh, I wonder if he's going to stick with that and pick against, uh, pick pick Washington when he gives his official picks, but hope he doesn't um, you know I, I i'm glad that he's he's learning i i like it i'm a teacher i like it when people learn um yeah. uh you know so like th- then you get to the transfers right and uh i haven't we all know will rogers who should come in and end up being uh the starter next year he <laughs> Nobody's going to have an arm like Michael Penix. We we can't expect him to be Michael Penix, um, but I think he does a lot of things really well. I think he's a pass-first guy who's really comfortable making decisions with the football in his hand. I think getting out of the program after uh, Mike Leach la- uh, unfortunately passed away uh, will end up being a net benefit for him coming here. He has some of the tools. Coach, what do you know about him? 
Uh, he's banged up this year. Obviously, you know, losing your head coach that he had for a couple of years there with Mike Leach is is a big deal. Put up a ton of numbers. Wasn't necessarily taking the deep shots, but I think that people who are concerned about whether or not our vertical passing game is going to just disappear, you have to understand that Mike Leach aeroids, air raid system was not designed to do that. Now, <clears throat> we have a lot of air, air raid uh, concepts uh, that we use in our offense, but nobody schemes our, the vertical passing game better than Washington does. So the real question is, you know, how long is it going to take him to just kind of adjust? And while we know that Rome is going pro, we don't know if McMillan's going to stay. We don't know if Polk's going to stay. You know, like I said, they're, they're recruiting guys like Brazzle and maybe Merriweather as transfer guys to come in. we got some young kids who are kind of waiting in the wings. We still don't know what that stable is going to look like yet. So we might be emphasizing the tight end a lot more with Josh Cuevas and more and, and, and whoever else, you know, steps up into that third tight end role. We, we, we just don't know what it's all going to look like until we have all of our personnel set up. Yeah. And I mean, if you get somebody like a Tobias Merriweather, who's a big time deep threat option, um, you know, that, that would be an awesome pickup as well. And, and the two lane guy that you mentioned um, the next one uh, is Ethan Barr. I see him as a depth guy. He's pretty fast sideline to sideline. Um, I don't see him supplanting, taking a ton of reps away from Alfonso and Carson next year. Uh, but I think he's a good depth addition. I think he's kind of insurance because um, they, they like to play four guys in rotation. Mm-hmm. The How ready that uh, Devin Bryan is next year is going to dictate a lot of that rotation. And uh, Jordan Whitney, who was kind of banged up this year, didn't have a chance to really get on the field. Um, dude has has some serious wheels and acceleration. So the young guys, what their offseason looks like is going to determine how much they need him. But, you know, they always play four guys in a rotation. And then the one today, somebody who Washington fans should know well, he was um, all over Mike Penix in that Arizona State game, B.J. Green from Arizona State coming. I think this is a really, really good addition for Washington as they're going to lose some guys on the interior. Uh, he's He can play both on the uh, outside on the tackles, but he can also move on the inside. Um, people seem really excited about him, including you, Coach. What do you like about him? He's just that that you know versatile dude who – He's a disruptor. You know, even when he doesn't get home, he's going to get pressures. I think he was, I, don't quote me on this. I want to say he was number two in pressures in the conference to Braylon Trice. Or Braylon Trice, Leatu Latu. Yeah. And BJ Green. So obviously he's got a knack for getting to the quarterback and disrupting plays. Um, not the tallest dude in the world, maybe six foot, six foot one. He's around 270 pounds, but he's just this rocked up, explosive guy ball of butcher knives and when they on third down passing when they bump him inside and he's going against your center and your guard you know he's he's got a tendency to kind of play with heavy hands and just kind of knock you off balance and get you in peril and that's kind of what we needed we still need to obviously find some big 300 pounders to uh work inside and you know it's still very early but you know maybe it's an opportunity for a guy like Alinius davis or the uh the twins Mm-hmm. to kind of step up and and take that role but you know i like i like bj green 
I like what he brings and putting him with Durfee and, and that stable Lance Holtzclaw and Jacob Lane. And they're all just going to kind of figure it out this spring. I think that there's going to, obviously there's going to be more guys coming. I think that just the way the momentum with this team right now is just at an all time high. Uh, Before we put a cap on uh, the, the football side of this, is there anything else you guys want to add before we move on to uh, the hoops? Um, I really, 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 really want Woody Marks from Mississippi State. I, you know, people always talk about, well, we're a th- passing offense, but we didn't get to 13-0 and without this running game that we kind of decided to ease into. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Dylan just being injured to start off the season and getting, you know, getting this few weeks off to kind of heal up. He's, he's just going to be shot out of a cannon on New Year's Day. But his former teammate, Woody Marks, is legit, explosive, tough kid, playmaker. Um, whether Dylan comes back or not, I, we need that guy on our team. Yeah. And he, uh, Dylan Johnson was on Softy on Friday and talked about how he's going, he's an NFL running back with the way that his athleticism, his burst, uh, and just how tough he runs. So. Keep keep that line open to Mississippi State. Get all their good players up to Seattle. I'm all for it. Um, Leah, the basketball side of things, the women's team for the first time in forever mm-hmm. is 11 and 0. Uh, they're blowing everybody out right now. They're playing at a really high level. They have a big test coming up. Give me give me a little bit on uh, the women's team right now. I was a little nervous coming into the season. I won't lie. They, they only really don't have very much depth at post and they have managed to have a really solid rotation. Uh, their leadership of Tina Langley is really phenomenal. And they have a crop of freshmen that are very much division one ready. They went to Pullman last weekend and I was a little skeptical because our leading scorer, El Ladine was out sick and Washington state was ranked. And this is, this is a rivalry game. Like they, they've kind of had our number of the last couple of years. We went in there and we were up by 20 at halftime and they didn't, they weren't injured at all. Like we were just outplaying them and we were outplaying them without our best player. So we ended up hanging on for dear life because we only won by five, but Washington women's basketball is really exciting. They've got a lot of really good freshmen, Savia Sellers, Chloe Briggs are both getting a lot of time. Chloe Briggs is playing a lot of rotations at five foot 11. She's really good at rebounding. She's also a sharpshooter, which is something that we desperately needed after last year. And uh, Lauren Schwartz is our senior leader and one of the leading scorers on the team. So she continues to dominate. Um, And then Ella Dean, when she's well, she's doing, she's awesome. She can do everything and she's an undersized forward guard. So um, Washington plays Louisville at Louisville this week. Um, Louisville is in the top 15. So if Washington wins that game, I I'm not necessarily thinking that they will, but if they're competitive and, and if they can win, they'll probably be in the top 20. They're, they're going to cr- probably crack the top 25 tomorrow on Monday because they're 26 right now. And the number 23 team lost in a route today. So they're probably going to find themselves in the top 25 this week and whether or not they stay there will be contingent upon what they can do in Louisville. And then after that hit the ground running and they're going to be starting the PAC 12 season in the Bay area. Um, 
at Cal and then mighty Stanford and the PAC 12 is that they have five teams in the top 11 UCLA, Utah, Colorado, Stanford. And the surprise is USC, but USC hasn't played anybody. And if I know USC athletics, and I think I do, their poor coaching is going to catch up to them in about three weeks. So, um, but Washington women's basketball is really exciting. There's always good tickets available. So that's something that is definitely must see. Over on the men's side, uh, this is really, (laughs) it's Mike Hopkins, right? I mean, tonight on Sunday night, they ended up heading to formerly Key Arena to uh, match up with Seattle U and uh, end up winning in double overtime 100 to 99. So couldn't um, be the same team that beat Gonzaga last yeah, week. They just beat Gonzaga and, and and they had to they showed a lot of grit in that game being down uh Hold in up. the second half. Go ahead. Hold up. They had to go on the road for this game. <laughs> <laughs> they had to go to Climate Pledge, mm-hmm. which is at least a 20-something minute bus ride. Yeah, so, in the shadow of uh in the shadow of the no. space needle. Yeah, it was a long drive. If they, if they hit all the traffic lights, maybe 15. Um, no, you know, I didn't even start tuning into that game until late in the second half. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, they just beat Gonzaga. We got to give them a little grace here. But, um, and I just missed it. I guess Frank kept on like got hurt or something and he was in the game, but then they just decided to play with no bigs the entire rest of the second half in overtime until like Brax and Mia finally came in and we're in a group chat and I'm like, where's the big guy? We are getting out rebounded. We're getting killed on the offensive glass. Where's Braxton Mia? We just, these guys are killing us down low. And for whatever reason, he's just sitting there for like an hour, just doing nothing. And then finally in overtime, he brings him in and kind of stabilize things a little bit, but you know, Keon Brooks made some incredible, like, wow, like takeover scoring buckets um wheeler had some big plays including that game that one to tie it up right before the buzzer um we're getting good contributions from people it's just at the end of the game i'm saying i'm I'm, I'm screaming into my phone basically typing as i'm saying this out loud in my living room all right we're up by three don't foul don't foul a shooter no matter what don't foul a shooter unless you're going to foul them before they get a Mm three-pointer off and then as soon as that happens, it was Mike Jensen, the NCAA tournament against UConn all over again, hitting a guy on a runner and one. And it's like, oh, my God, we're going to lose this game. We are not executing properly. And then the kid missed the free throw. Just absolutely insane. But, you know, two months from now, this is just a win. Tonight, it was, wow, it took a couple years off our lives. Yeah, it just goes to show like, as our, what are you talking about in the huddle? If there's not e- explicit instructions about how not to foul or when you're, if you are going to foul, this is the specific scenario in which you foul. Those are the kinds of things that I feel like this coaching staff does not communicate properly to the guys. Because I, I'll tell you, like, we're in a close game in Pullman with the, the ladies and they're not making those kinds of mistakes. And I have to think a part of it is coaching. So there's also a former player from the team from the last couple of years who's in our group chat. Mm-hmm. And I just point blank asked him, I go, hey, when you were with the team, how often did you guys practice those end the game scenarios? And he said, actually, quite a bit. 
However, our personnel is completely different from when I was there. And so, you know, I don't know if that makes a difference, but he was, he, you know, he was very honest. He was like, no, we used to do that all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, what is it about Husky hoops where they just, yeah, they have to just be nail biters all the time, no matter what, <laughs> like, if, this is the one thing we can't do. And we did it. All right. We're going to make this harder on ourselves, but. It is interesting that the men's program always has something <clears throat> like that. Cause you remember even the good Romar teams and inbound was just the ball. brutal to watch them. Remember? Well, yeah. Inbounding the ball. Right. But they were brutal at the free throw line at the end of games as well. Yeah. And then Romar went through that philosophy phase for years where he, he, he didn't foul before you know, he got up a three pointer mm-hmm. and it cost us like so many games. He finally like relented towards the end there. And he was like, yeah. all right, maybe we'll foul. Hey, jeez, man, we just we just can't make it easy on ourselves. But yeah, that was uh, was was that Hernandez uh, at Stanford, Oregon State. Stanford, it happened, Oregon State. Yeah, uh huh. I think that was yeah. Noah Dickerson's uh, junior year. It probably cost him uh, a trip to. And was was that Romar? Yeah, that was Romar. Uh, it cost him a trip to. Um, no, it was a sophomore year. They should have. That was Andrew Andrews' senior year. Oh. They they absolutely should have gone to the tournament, but they had a quad four loss to freaking Oregon State. Anyhow, uh, this team is immensely t- talented enough to get to the NCAA tournament. The only question is, and um, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think that the the staff that's in place, namely the head of that staff, um, will be the reason why it doesn't. And if I'm wrong. I, I would gladly be wrong on that because I want to see this team in the tournament again. This is this is that weird thing where people have wanted the head coach gone so long, but this season could literally save his job. Like if they make it to the NCAA tournament, they they find a way to get in. It's really tough to fire a head coach who just got you in the tournament. But then you're getting to the point where, well, now he's going to ask for another extension. It's like, Oh man, I don't know. <clears throat> so I think their biggest opportunity to go farther than they have in recent years is keeping those big guys healthy. Yeah. You have to find a way to get Mia's confidence back because he played a ton last year and he's barely playing this year. Mm-hmm. Frank, I, I don't know what's going on with him. I haven't seen anything. Like I said, I wasn't watching the game earlier, but it sounded like he went out with an injury last year when we lost him. The season kind of just torpedoed. He's really good when he's healthy too. Having his his athleticism in the front court, being able to block shots and rebound and put the ball back, um, he's just total energy player. And he's you know when he's out there, he's just I love it. I love watching him. Braxton's got to find a way to contribute. You know, 15, 20 minutes a game. And I know they rotate in a lot of guys, and they got some new guys. But you need that length. You need that size because. Dude, Seattle U's big guy was backing us down in the paint and owning us. Yeah. Like, come on, man. And we have the number one team in America in our conference. So buckle up, kids, because this is going to be a tough ride in this conference. And you've got to be able to out-muscle and out-physical, or you at least have to be competitive when you're physicaling against the low block. And if we don't have Braxton Mia with any confidence, how are we going to hold our own there? And when they finally put him in the game, that dude tried to back him down and didn't move him, and he passed the ball. Perfect. And that, 
sometimes you just need to have a big body down there because you can't substitute in the men's game with a guard. You just can't do it. Like in Z's and Jai. Remember how big and strong he was? All I heard was like, people would always get on him and be like, oh, he doesn't have an offensive game. He doesn't have bad hands. That giant dude affects the game in so many different uh-huh. ways. He runs hard. He, you know, he dunks the ball on people. He, he rebounded and blocked shots. And that team he was on that uh, we went to the Sweet 16, I believe. And we got absolutely hosed in Greensboro against UNC. Mm. Like that game just, I, I'm still angry about that game. We would have been a Final Four team, at least. But uh, I always I always loved having him on the team. Like, Oh, 100%. I always like a big a big guy or a big human in either gendered sport where like you're you're we're not going to expect too much of you offensively. We just need you to hold your own in the key. Literally need you to do the minimal that's expected of you. Don't foul out and protect the rim. That's when the ball goes up. You're on the weak side crashing and and getting a pullback. Yep. Don't allow offensive rebounds. Control the glass and protect the rim. And if you can do that effectively, it's going to be really hard to score against the Huskies or any any team. Yeah, now that they're not fully 100% of a 2-3 zone team, mm-hmm. um, those long rebounds aren't necessarily going the other way every single time. Um, that's all I got tonight. This is good vibes. There's a lot of great things going on here. Go see Boys in the Boat. Go read it if you haven't read the book. It's an amazing book. Um, as the, I think it was Gaby. I don't know which one roses are wet, red, violets are blue. UW beat Germany in the Olympics. Suck it, Hitler. <laughs> That's what it's all about, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a good time to be a dog. So I hope you guys enjoy your holiday season. Uh, we'll be back to preview, really get into the long, the matchup with the Longhorns and the sugar bowl. But until then, Trevor Mueller, coach V UW, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs, horns down. Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero. Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Merguia family, just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.